bonus stuff. Thank you. I don't like to go late, I know. People have to leave on time, so. Okay. Thank you. So what I wanted to do this week was we, we, we ended like smack in the middle of building up to an idea. We didn't actually quite get there. And what we're working on is this idea of, <coughs> well, it's, it's a grouped idea. What we're going to be heading into is a deeper understanding of the word olam. Baruch she'amar v'hayaha olam, which is the introductory statement to this whole Baruch she'amar v'hayaha olam, baruch hu, baruch osev reishis, baruch omer ve'oseh. That's really what we're working on, sort of through Omer Ve'ose, I suppose. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a cold last week, and Baruch Hashem, I'm better. I still have a little residual mm-hmm. congestion. Okay. This is the Maharal, which is, you're welcome to look inside, but you don't have to. But I wanted to do it in more detail because we rushed a little. And Thank you. Okay. So the Maharal was saying this. With regard to Avraham and the fact that the Torah said, in Parshas Vayera, um, the Torah said, Vayita Eshel, Avraham planted an Eshel, this is in Beersheba. Mm-hmm. He planted an Eshel, Vayikra Hashem, got the Pasuk on the other side, Hashem Hashem Kel Olam. And he called out there in the name of Hashem, the power or the Lord of the universe, which was different from how he had been calling out in the name of God which had been something that he had added the name Adonai, underst- meaning he had understood that relationship with God. <laughs> and he had added that onto the Mesora he had from Shem, also known as Malkitzedek, who taught about God as Kael Elyon, the highest power, or the highest master. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we have Sheer today. Thank you. Okay. And... So the question is, what is this A-shell that he planted? And Chazal tell us it stands for Achila Shasia and Lina, food and drink and shelter. So this is his Hachnas Asorchim that he's famous for. <coughs> and the question is, what does it mean, literally, because the word A-shell only appears in one other place in all of Tanakh and no other place in Chumash. And Rashi brings two opinions from the Gemara, Rav and Shmuel, which... Um, I followed the, the Maharal points to that source from a Medrash, which is, I think, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nachman, which is a difference of opinion. Is it a pardes, an orchard, or is it a pundak, an inn? But what's odd about the Rashi, and his starting point is, why did Rashi tell me both of these opinions? And the way that he brings both of these opinions is, either way, it's to provide fruits for the guests. So the word fruits right away triggers in us like some thoughts. Because peros, like Elu Devorium Shadam Ochel Perosehem Baolam Hazev Hakaran Kaimaso. The fruits means that which grows or develop the product of the effort. Fruits of your labor. I mean that's that's what fruit means. Okay, fruit is the end result that's sort of sweet and enjoyable and nourishing that results after work has been put in or effort has been put in. And if that's the point that he's getting to, then why would Rashi bring both, both sides of it? When anyway, either way, it's coming down to the fruits that he's giving to the guests. So he says there is a really a wondrous hint that's provided by, either of these two, by each of these two opinions. Whether you learn that Avraham was planting a pardes, an orchard of trees, or whether you're saying that Avraham was, plant, was building an inn 
And that's why Rashi doesn't want to leave either one out. Because it's, it's bringing a deeper point that we could be learning from and understanding what the different kinds of peros are. And whichever way it is, the, the, the disagreement, so to speak, of these early rabbis is what is the deeper nature of Avraham and his avodah? Because that's what's being reflected over here. Because after this, he goes on to, the, it's the Akedah, it's like the peak of his personal development, and Sarah dies, and soon after he died, like, you know, that's, it's like really the peak of his development as the Torah sees fit to tell it to us. So according to the one who says it's a pundak and in, so what they're teaching us is that Avraham was relating to the concept of an in, meaning he himself, this is an expression, it's the pre, right? It's the outgrowth mm-hmm. of him as a person who himself takes in whoever comes by and shelters them. And that the main thing is the gathering of the people in and the sheltering them like an inn. And that's who he was. And in fact, Hashem says, you are Av Hamon Goyim. He changes his name to Avraham, father of a multitude of nations, in gathering in all the people of the world, not just his own people. I'm not sure where I have more of these, but you're welcome to look on with me. Okay, we're, ju- we're reviewing this Mahara from last time. Yeah, yeah if you have it, that would be great, because I just can't figure out what I did. I know a few people gave them back. I don't know what I did with them. Okay. Um, and then in gathering them in, he also sustains them and gives them their parnasa. That's the giving them the fruit and providing for them. And so the parnasa, the sustenance of the world, comes through Avraham, who himself is sort of an inn of hospitality for the world. The parnasa, you say, comes from him? Yeah, that, that he provides the parnasa for the world. In other words, he, he provides for them. He's providing for the entire world by being a source of chesed for everybody. Right? Olam chesed hibana. The world is built on chesed. He actually is the primary channel for chesed into the world for all time. He's the av of chesed. He's the father of all chesed. Okay. I have to tell you before yes. I forget that in a, in a language, I can't remember what, tree and hotel were like the same word. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that wow. awesome? I have yeah. to remember what it was. I was reading it in a crazy book, like a Just secular book. Yeah, wow. Oh, that's Good really morning. morning. I that's very awesome. Italian. I think that's it's so Italian. interesting. I'd like a, one that like the same root word. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Mm-hmm. I okay. Coming this morning. I'm so glad you came. How much work I have to okay. do on coming. Yay. <laughs> okay. Now, if we talk about Avraham as planting a pardes, I'm sorry, I, we had more of these last week, and I don't no, know what I, I did with them. I'm glad. No. Okay. Then, what we're saying is that the world was blessed through Avraham in the aspect of his being like a tree, which is, planting a tree means planting very deep roots. That's the concept of the tree. He provides the shelter, he provides the peros, but it's by virtue of, of being a tree, somebody who, who starts at the roots. And the word pardes even might have pointed us in that direction when Chazal said, is it a pardes? You know, it's a funny thing. Eshel, if it means pardes, it doesn't mean pardes, it would mean tree, like an elon or something, or an eitz, which would also be very evocative. Right? And it is. When he says to the Malachim, sit here under the eights, you know, sit here, tachas ho eights, it also you go like, oh, tree. And here's Avraham, and he's correcting, you know, for the sin of Adam Harishan and the tree. It's already very evocative. Hi. I cannot figure out where I stuck 
these extra copies. I'm sorry. It's the one from <laughs> You probably already read it in one. detail, so we, we decided that was, since we sort of rushed, I, I definitely yeah. got a few back, but I don't know where I stuck them. I'm sorry. There's somewhere probably in the notebook because I didn't find them in the purse. Okay. Um, but Pardis itself stands for Pshat, Remez, Drash, and Sod. And we have this Masora of Avraham having written like the first real book of Chachma, right? There's the Sefer of, of Avraham. That's like one of the, one of the major books in, in Kabbalah is attributed to Avraham Avinu. So this idea Do that what, what he was called? doing, yeah, I don't remember what it's called. Um, I'm just curious. It's not Seder Olam. I, I can't remember the name. It's not my specialty. <laughs> Despite the fact that I told the girls I learned Kabbalah just to get their attention. It's only partly successful. <laughs> I only know they heard me because like two weeks later, one girl came over to me and she says, do you actually learn Kabbalah? I'm like, well, you know, Rashi, like, we'll quote, you know. It's like such a letdown. <laughs> okay. And there was another girl who raised her hand and said, what's Kabbalah? So I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> okay. So this idea of planting the tree, because what's he doing? He's planting... He's planting knowledge. He's calling out the name of Hashem, which Rashi goes on in the, next, in the next commentary to say, so what did he do? He fed them the food. And in doing this, he gave them the knowledge that God existed. Because he would say, okay, let's say thank you to the one whose food we've eaten. And they'd say, okay, thank you. And he'd say, not me. They'd say, what do you mean? You gave us the food. He'd say, well, how did I get the food, right? So there's a God, there's a creator. We'll thank him. But it says pardes. It doesn't say Eitz or tree in a chazal. It says an orchard, like a whole lot of trees, which already just the word pardes, like kind of also was reminding us that what's talking about here is the knowledge that he planted, and that knowledge having its deep roots, and that from the fruits of that the fruits of the knowledge are that anyone who then later on will have a question, they can go back and examine the knowledge and the fundamental principles that Avraham gave them. And from those principles, they can work out more and more knowledge. That's the fruits of the knowledge that he gave them. And through this, he's going to sustain all the people in the world. Okay, so these are these two opinions. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Now, the Maharal then says, but he, the Maharal says, you should just know that this difference of opinion then is, was the main thing about Avraham's achievement in teaching the world that he taught wisdom to people, or was it that he taught them how to do God's will through mice and tovin, through good deeds? If it's through teaching them wisdom, then that would be the chachma, that would be the pardis. If it's through teaching them mice and tovin, that would be represented by the puntak. And that's why he says that Rashi came and said he wants to tell, which way is it that he's bringing them under the wings of the Shrina, in the shelter of the Shrina, providing for them Achila and Shasia and Lina, and giving them shelter with God. Which is it that's the main thing? And, we ha- and Rashi doesn't want us to miss the chance to think about that question. So what's the main thing? But that's really where the Mahawa goes with it. So what is the main thing? He says, well, there's an implication here, which is, if you're teaching people wisdom, you're only teaching the select few. Because not everyone can accept all the wisdom. There's like, some other time we'll talk about, like, it's like difference between Dibur and Amira. Vayidaber Hashem, Vayomer Hashem. Okay, so Dibur, speech, you know, it's like if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, did it make a sound? Speech is without reference 
to whether someone's listening to it. If the person, if a, if a person or if God speak like a debor, then it, it's just there. It exists and it has its own existence. That's a debor. When something is described as amira, it actually means something that was spoken and received as well. Okay, so that has all kinds of interesting implications. Generally speaking, when Hashem gives commands to Kohanim, it's with Amira. It's very, very interesting. Not with Divor. If Ayomer Hashem El Moshe Lemor, we're so used to it. We'll get to this when we get to Shema. But that's really an atypical pasuk. Usually it's Vaidaber Hashem El Moshe Lemor, not Vayomer Hashem El Moshe Lemor. So it's like very, you know, like all these different angles. If you're talking to Chachamim and giving them wisdom, it's pointless if the person you're talking to can't receive, right? So that would be only to the greater people. But to teach people how they can better do God's will through their behavior, that's for everybody. So that would be teaching everybody. <coughs> and this is hinted to in the Medrash that seems to be, the Medrash Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nachman, that seems to be the source of the difference of opinion of Rav and Shmuel that Rashi quoted, where the fruits are described as lechem, basar, and yayin, bread, meat, and wine, when there are the fruits of the pundak, of the inn, versus the figs and grapes that are the fruits from the orchard. Because the fruits of bread and meat and wine are foods that require human processing to be ready to consume. And so what it shows there is the effort that goes into it, the actual, the actions that have to be attached to the process. And that process, so that's reflective of the Maisim Tovim, where it's not enough to just think about it, but you have to actually put an action into it. Versus the Chachma, which is, and he, and he also says the Maharal, you know, fruits, fruits are fantastic, but they're dessert. They're extra. They're not really fundamentally what sustains you and keeps you going. Because Maisim Tovim are that which truly sustains our body and gives it its parnasa <coughs> and allows us to live especially in the next world and in the long term. That's really where our sustenance comes for body and soul. Okay. Now, he says, the main opinion that we follow with this is that, in fact, it's pardes, it means trees. Because this ikar of giving people the foundations of chachma and rooting it deeply enough in them until they can stand on their own in knowledge of the, the truth of God's existence, this is a very big ikar. This is a very, very big, it's a big root. This is a very fundamental point. But we should understand that according to the one who says that what he did was create an inn, and these are totally not, one of these opinions does not rule out the other. I mean, that's always true when there's differences of opinion. Usually, if you would look into them deeper, they don't. But in this case, it's for sure not, because what's to rule out like tree and an inn and like the whole process working together? He says, the focus on the, on the inn is being able to teach both the great and the small. And this is preferable. I mean, this is better. Whether or not, like, we have one opinion that we're going to follow more or less in the Chazal, and I'm not sure why you'd have to follow one more or less. I'm not sure where Halacha this comes straight out. But he says, you should just know this is better. One who can teach the great and the small. Maybe it's not so deep. It's not so exciting to be able, right? Like someone who knows so much, they want to be able to teach these deep ideas 
to be able to teach on the level where each person can hear what they want to hear, that's actually better. It's a higher level of education. So the having hafeir think very deeply about this explanation as well. Don't ignore it because it's less appealing. I mean, by the time you're reading a maharal, you're probably already in the category of, you know, someone who could be taught some chachma, right? Don't write off how important it is the teaching of the Mice and Tohim to anyone big or small. And even if the first explanation might be more accurate, nonetheless, the second one is also correct and accurate. And if you think about it deeply, this is this very interesting line at the end, if you will, it's an interesting, interesting line because Taskil also is when you take something and put it into action. But anyway, if you will be enlightened and think very, very deeply about this idea, which means if you understand the fundamental Kabbalistic underpinnings of the idea I just shared with you, you would realize Kishoresh Echod Emes, they are, the two opinions are actually one root. It's two branches from one root. Gezat Tzedek Lishnehem. One a just and correct trunk to both of these. Interesting comment, right? There at the end, and makes you wish you understood what he was hinting to. All right. Don't worry, I'm not just going to abandon you there. Otherwise, I'd skip the line altogether. The Eshel and the Punda. Right. And he said, and then he sort of says mysteriously, by the way, they're really one and the same. This is two angles of one thing. But he doesn't say how. doesn't seem to wish to go further with that. If you have the capacity, you can figure it out. If not, that's okay. You already took the main point, and that's, that's what matters. <coughs> okay. Now. Sorry. sorry. All right. We're going we're gonna to pause. We're going to come back to this. And I want to look at the Ramban, which I quoted here. It's at the bottom, just under the, the Maharal's Gorarie. Ramban asks a different question. And this is a question we hinted to at the beginning, which is, what just changed? We said that, that first, Avraham received from Alkitzedek the name Kael Elyon as a way of understanding God and teaching about God. He turns right around and uses it. When he talks to the king of Sodom, only he adds the name Hashem, master of the universe. So he's saying not just that God is the highest power, but he is the creator of all power. He is the only source of power. But now he's gone elsewhere, and now it's Kel Elyon, Kel Olam, Hashem Kel Olam instead of Hashem Kel Elyon. All right. Pirish Akasov, Shakar B'Shem Hashem, Haman Hig Bekocho Hazman. Hazman. Let's just stop there for a second. The Pasuk is explaining to us by telling us that he called out, meaning he taught, in the name of Hashem Kel Olam. It's telling us he's calling in the name of Hashem, who was, is, always will be, and who is the loving creator of the universe. Right? We talked about that back in Baruch HaTashem. Hamanhig Bekocho, who directs with his power, Hazman, time. Hashem, Kael, Kael means might or power, Olam. That he's teaching people that God is the infinite loving creator 
and has the power and, and utilizes this power of directing all time. In other words, he's defining olam as time, as in ad olam, forever and ever, right? That's what we say it in English. But ad means until. So ad olam means until forever. So olam meaning all time. O, or possibly, Ramban says, she yikru hashamayim v'ha'aretz olam. Maybe it means the heavens and the earth when it says olam, meaning the, the, the earth. That's how we use the word olam. Okay. You have to realize <laughs> the Ramban is not... I don't, I don't know how to read Ramban so well. Ramban is very, very difficult learning. Okay. But what is clear is that the Ramban is not super comfortable with this second suggestion. He's making it, and presumably there's something that makes him feel he needs to say it, but he's not super comfortable with it. Why? Because what, when you read the Pasuk, what did you think Ola meant? I mean, if, I thought it meant world. world. The earth, right. Hashem is like the master of the earth. And the Ramban first says, no, it means time. And only afterward he says, or, or maybe, maybe, that's, well, that, right, but I didn't read it that way at first. Hashem kill Olam, Hashem is the master of all forever, of all time. My instinct, being, I don't know, an English speaker was, God is master, you know, Melech HaOlam, king of the universe, king of all the world. Okay. He says it could be that over here he's he means shemaim the haaretz olam, like heaven and earth, meaning the physical world as olam. Kilishon habatamid bedivrei rabosenu. The way that the chachamim use the word. Okay. In other words, let me just point out what the Ramban. He's not teaching this. He's working from a piece of knowledge that we may not have had, which is in the Torah. The word olam does not mean earth. That's weird because we're used to it meaning earth. In the Torah, the word olam never means earth. The word olam means all time. It's the Chachamim who introduced the idea of using the word olam to mean the earth. There's a, it's very funny, I'm just now connecting. There is, it was later on in the, in the later Chazal that they introduced the idea of Olme Olamim, like forever and ever, meaning two worlds, this world and the next. It, it never was needed to be said before. It was always understood that there's this dual world and that it's all one. So you only had Olamim. Now, the idea of the only olamim, like world and worlds, like that's, okay. But this was something I had never heard before. The Ramban is, is working off an assumption that we know that the Torah doesn't use the word olam to mean the world. Kind of the infinite. It means, inf- it means all time. Not infinite, because infinite is even beyond time, mm-hmm. right? But all time is olam. Or may, it's sort of like, maybe, <laughs> maybe we could like sort of, but that's like a real stretch. You understand? It's a very big stretch to say Avraham was over here in this one place. The Torah is using the word olam the way that 2,000 years later the Chachamim would use the word olam, even though the Torah itself never uses the word olam that way. 
That's like a little bit strange. So that's why his first assumption is that what it means is that he was telling everybody that Hashem has control over all time. This informs us, this tells us, Shakara Avraham, that Avraham called out, in other words, what he proclaimed and taught to other people in the world, was sod hanhagas ha'olam bichlalo shehu b'shem Hashem, the secret of how the world how the world is run. What what's the secret power that runs the world? It's the name of God. Right, like that's what it is. It should be a little less surprising because we had that bit from Rav Munk about, remember, the, about the names. Bereshis bar Elohim, that we look at God's deeds and from, the, from his actions in the world, we understand that God is the force behind them. And with each of these things, Hashem provides for us in the Torah names that explain to us how we can relate to him in that situation. Okay? But this is a new layer. This is that it is the names that is how Hashem runs his world. That's how the power comes in. It's with his name. That, that he, he commands and he, he manages through the power of his name all power in the world. That's how it happens. That's Vayikra Shom B'Shem Hashem Kel Olam. He told everybody, do you see how though that's, that is an evolution, so to speak, of the teaching from, from Malkitzedek's Kel Elyon, God is the mightiest to the highest power, which unfortunately left room, or maybe that was the only way people of the time were able to listen to him, for people to think, okay, but there's also other powers, just he's the highest power. And Avram came along and said, no, there is an infinite God who created all power. That's Hashem Kel Elyon. He is mightier than all powers because he created them. He is not at all, they have no power other than beyond him. And now there's a new level, which is B'Shem Hashem Kel Olam, God who controls at all time. He, there is no power that has any separateness from him. It's all his name. Anything in the world is an expression of his name. Now, this is an idea you will come across all over the place, believe it or not, right? You hear people say, the Torah is combinations of the name of God. Have you heard that one? All the, word, all the letters in the Torah are all different combinations? Yeah? I've never heard it. Okay. So this, this comes across a lot. It's a very helpful for explaining the final psukim. I saw a beautiful thing on the final psukim in Vizos Abracha. That all of this is different combinations of the name. And that's what the universe is. That Hashem looked into the world, into the Torah, created the universe. This is all his names. And that's why when we say we're asking Hashem for Rachamim and we talk about the 13 Midos HaRachamim, the evoking of his names is really begging Hashem that he should put into action these different Midos. Hashem's Midos correspond to the spheros, to the, the, the pouring down of his Bracha into the world through different channels. But the channels are formed by his name, whatever that means. Okay. Um, do that. End with that. With that Ramban.
and this is what the Rav, meaning the Rambam, <coughs> teaches in Mora Nevuchim, Bezud Gimel, that it is a hint, what Avram is hinting to is God is infinite and his, his power is Kadmus. It, it always existed. There's no before, right? Because there's this, always this question in philosophy of was the universe, because Mora Nevuchim is addressing philosophical issues, right? Did the universe begin at any particular time or was it always that way? The idea that Hashem's power predates everything else in the universe. Kihodia Hayoso Kodim Hasman. That this was this is Avraham teaching people that Hashem predates all time. Okay, so now I want to go to Rafersh. Now we have the Maharal. Now we have the Rambad. And now when we read Rafersh, and this is typical, absolutely typical for me, for my experience, Gizante, is that the more I've learned up a topic, the more I discover that Rav Hirsch was telling the whole time. In other words, he, he covered all this ground. Okay, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm, it's like going right past me because I never even saw it, but I don't necessarily catch it. So in Rav Hirsch, I can, I can get from it whatever I will get from it, and that's already amazing. But the more I happen to know, the more I happen to be able to get from it. So that's why I went through sharing all of that with you because I thought you might find it as exciting as I did to understand this concept of olam and what we need to take out of it. Okay. So he says, why does this change? Reverse starts with a different question. He says, he asks about this A-shell and what's the A-shell? Is it this? Is it that? Okay. He says, why is he planting an A-shell in Beersheba? Up until now, he was, he was planting Mizbeachs. And he would call out in the name of Hashem, Kael Elyon. And now there's something different. He's planting an A-shell in other words, he's behaving with gemilus chasadim in a new level. And what he is teaching is Hashem kel olam. So what changed? What happened here in Beersheba that's different? So you'd have to really look back and say, well, what, what just happened? What did the Torah just say happened? Okay, what just happened was he had a baby. He weaned, the baby was weaned. The baby's a, a tiny baby. I mean, not a newborn, but still very young. <coughs> it says a two-year-old baby lying in a cradle. And Avimelech, who was in a story earlier on, shows up again. And Avimelech comes with Fichol Sartzeva'o, right? Fichol, his general, and says, I want to make a covenant with you that will continue on to our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. This comes up again in Navi because it actually plays out and like there's still great-grandchildren around. So it's not so simple, okay, this covenant. Okay, so we all, we learn this and we kind of keep going because like when it comes to Parsha Svayera, there's so much going on that like, okay, he did this covenant, I don't know, usually if you're gonna learn anything about the covenants because you came to it from Navi and you worked your way backward, fine. And Rav Hirsch says, what's the significance of that? And now, Vayita Esha. And he calls out in the Amishon Kelly. He says, you know what happened over here? He came. He has, he's an isolated householder. He's just living on his own, and he has a two-year-old baby. And a king comes to him, a king who knew him, and knew him to be an important person. But because of that little baby says, I want to have a covenant with you. Because that baby, Avimelech says, that baby's going to grow up and be a nation that I'm going to wish 
I was on the good side of. In other words, this is the, the first blossoming into, into the physical reality where Avram can see the promises Hashem made him coming true. That he said, Ki You're going to have this child and call him Yitzchak and he's going to become this great nation that I promised you to be. It's not Yishmael. It's going to be this one. He's just a baby. Okay, the fact that he's there is a miracle. That's wondrous. But now kings are coming and saying, we want, a, we want a covenant with that baby. Why do they think that? This is God's promise coming true. And when he sees that, he has a new kind of knowledge that Hashem is not only Hashem kel elyon kone shamayim va'aretz, that Hashem reveals himself in the world, but olam. And this, I believe, is based on that Ramban, where the Ramban says, well, olam means all time, but Chazal do use it as meaning earth. Okay? Really, what Refersh is doing is saying the Ramban, only saying it in a different way, in a way that has also been translated into English, which helps. Okay? What's he saying? He's saying, until now, Avram told everybody that Hashem is the power and we can recognize him through his actions in the world. He's infinite and above that, but that's what we can see. But there's an element of just knowing you're going to be able to see it. Hashem told him things that were supernatural, that were prophetic. So there were aspects to Avram's relationship with God. Prophecy means hearing something out of order of time. That's what pro- a prophecy is seeing something, right? The prophet actually sees a reality that doesn't yet exist in this world. So, Kone Shemaim Va'aretz, recognizing God through his deeds in the world, we're talking about that are within the present time or the past, that we could, we have looked at them and can remember them, or we've seen them ourselves. But when it comes to prophecy, you've seen it, but you haven't seen it. This was the first time he saw the prophecy then emerge into the present moment. Kelolam, the one who sows the future, meaning plants the seeds of the future in invisible seeds of the present. That when Hash, in now, whatever's happening right now, right now, he's going to, he'll emphasize this more later, whatever is happening now, we don't see what the payros are. We don't see the fruits of what is being planted now, whether it's us planting it or God planting it. And so it can feel like what's happening now is not very worthwhile or is not worth the effort or is not worth the pain and suffering, right? Hazorim bedima, the ones who plant seeds with tears will rejoice when they harvest them. Well, harvest is like really far away, and who says it'll ever happen? The seeds now are like, there's a great story. Laura's, Laura Ingalls Wilder, okay, totally different type of source here, right? She talks about um, 
in Farmer Boy, which is sort of a biography of her husband's life as a, as a young boy, um, about a cousin. He's talking about planting seeds and how Almanzo's like 10 years old and his father doesn't let him plant seeds yet. Doesn't let him scatter seeds. I mean, you're talking about a kid who's working 12 to 14 hours a day on the farm alongside the family. He's a hardworking kid. He's not allowed to plant seeds. Why? Because it's not as easy as it looks. And you only can see the quality of the one who scattered the seeds when it's too late to do anything about it. And it gives us an example, some cousin of his who had to go out and plant like carrot seeds and was in a hurry and the seeds are really little and he kind of scattered them like in one corner of the field and then went off to play. And a couple months later, everything starts sprouting and growing and you've got all the carrots growing in one corner of the field and too crowded to grow properly and the rest of the field is empty. But you only know this much later. Okay, so with, with thanks and apologies to Laurie and Coles Wilder, like the invisible seeds in the present, when you're planting some kinds of seeds, but as soon as they're in the ground, you don't have no sight of them anymore. And you won't see them for a long time. And Avram's saying, oh, now I have seen that they sprout. And they sprout in accordance with what you do now. Okay, so let's go on. This is the first trace of God's constructive work in directing human history that Avram had to greet. So he celebrated the occasion by, by perpetuating it, by planting a tree in which he laid down the idea of this future. Simple beginnings like a tree and spreading blessing far around when matured. He's emulating Hashem in planting the tree. He's doing the same thing. Okay, now take a step back and remember when the Torah tells us to emulate God, it's always in areas that have to do with chesed, always. It goes back to the Shirem Amal Bisharumim. It says, Mahu Afatah, you should be like him. It's always chesed based, always. This is Avraham, right? This is this argument. So is he teaching them chachma or is he teaching them mice and tovim? It's, my, I'm, it's both. He's, he's planting a tree and with it, but it's the hachnas it's the orchim of doing it. So how's he teaching them? Is he teaching them through the wisdom or through his action of doing the hachnas orchim? That's the argument of the pundok and the pardes, right? Because what do you think made the biggest effect on them? Maybe the hospitality? <laughs> Meaning they go together. It's the hospitality, but then it's what he told them based on, that's vayita eisho, vayikra b'shem Hashem kelolam. They're, they're one and the same. You, you can't the tease them apart. The to understand that chesed is the basis. Exactly. It's the knowledge of God, which is then, it, if it's real knowledge, it's going to come out in your actions. If it doesn't, then did you have the knowledge? That's a little bit what that idea of taskil is. Haskel is knowledge that comes out and affects your actions. If it doesn't, difficult to say the value of what that knowledge is. Okay, kill Olam. The sages of our people, meaning the Chachamim, remember Ramban was like, well, to say that Olam means world, that's Lashon Chachamim. That's a much later era. That's not the Lashon of Tanakh. The sages of our people have brought the name of God paired with Olam. Olam Chesed Yibane, but that's not what he's referring to. He's saying the Chachamim uh, made a novel pairing. Which, which Avram did, <laughs> but the Chachamim took it and ran with it later, which was when they coined the term Elokeinu Melech Ha'olam. 
they put Elokeinu, which is based on the root kale, with the word olam as a common terminology. It occurs, this kale olam occurs only twice in Tanakh. And in the second place, it's Elokei olam. It's not even exactly identical. And they paired those words together more than any other to constant use in our mouths. This is like, what he takes from that Ramban or understands from that Ramban is unbelievable. What he learns is why did the Chachamim use the word Olam that way? And then in using the word Olam, which means all time, to use it to mean heaven and earth, physical world, and then tell us that all day we have to keep using this phrase, Elokeinu melech haolam, Hashem Elokeinu melech haolam, Hashem Elokeinu melech haolam. What was it that was so, they're trying to teach us the lesson of Avram Avinu. That's what they're telling us, that what Avram Avinu introduced into the world is something that his children need to have on their minds all day. This is a new meaning of the word olam as the world. In other words, the most concrete, actual, present. Okay, so what did the Chachamim do? They said the word olam really means all time. If you want to say what all time is, that means for sure the future which is unseen. It also means the past, right? Min ha'olam ve'ad ha'olam. From forever till forever. The past which we have not seen and the future, which we cannot see. And within that, there's this little present, which is like insignificant compared to all the other time. The Chachanim, by telling us all day (coughs) that in the moment, remember we've talked about bracha as connecting this world to the spiritual world beyond it, that is the source of it. They're telling us don't lose sight of the present moment as a key piece of that olam. Olam includes all time. But when you're thinking about all time, what you're not thinking about is now. That's what happens. That's a mistake. And the Chachamim are seeking to correct that mistake. This is unbelievable insight. Okay, so everywhere else, when in trouble, One directs one's thoughts to the future and looks to the future to find consolation for an inconsolable present. In other words, if your present is difficult, you think, okay, this will pass, right? There'll be a future, it'll be better. And our sages lead us to the reverse idea. That's scary. What does that mean? He says the Chachamim, at a time when our present became a laughing stock for the world, in other words, the time when the, the, when the terminology of brachos was set, when we are already under attack by the nations, we've had Beis HaMikdash destroyed, another one being destroyed, that was when the Chachamim said to us, we need to look on every present moment as being already part of the future. Every single thing that happens, when thunder rolls, when lightning flashes, when trees blossom, when flowers smell, when food nourishes, events mature, take the fact to heart. The present is already part of the future. Think of Hashem as Melech HaOlam, ruler and director of the hidden future. Okay, that's, he's explaining the Ramban. 
which is slowly maturing to perfection in the course of time. You understand the difference? Both ways you look to the future. What the Chachamim say is don't ignore the present in order to take comfort in the future. Dig deeper into your present and take comfort in the fact that whatever you are experiencing right now is a piece of the development of that future. It's not wasted. It's all part of that process. Every second truly lived is in the very center of that eternity in which we all not only will participate, but in which we are participating if we are what we should be. Not just someday Hashem will bring me back in to be part of a beautiful future. I am already part of a beautiful future. Now, whatever's happening now, that's going to change my behavior. Because it's now. If it's just somewhere in the future, okay, but this is now. This is a focus on now. So in Tanakh, the word olam seems to mean not only the hidden past and future, but anything hidden from our eyes or invisible to us. Remember, this is Avraham's lesson at the moment of the hidden becoming visible, God's hidden promise becoming visible. It's presumptuous to think that only the past and future are hidden from us because the actual present at truth is also hidden from us. We're thinking of like, well, the future, we can't see it. The past, we can't see it. The only thing we can see is the present. He says, do we really see the present as it really is? Also, not so much. Okay, that's why the word olam means hidden. Now, olam, it's all hidden. Time is something hidden. The universe is in its way hidden. Fundamentally, at rock bottom, everything concrete has its roots in that which is hidden. That's comforting because it means that as solid and concrete as the physical world appears to be, it's rooted in something even more permanent and more real and more solid. Shapes and forms and change and force, all these things are rooted in the one thing that is unchanging and solid and that you can depend on, and that is Hashem. That was that Ramban. Okay. He says, perhaps this way of looking at it is reproduced in the idea of Olam being the world. For the real world is actually the Olam. It wants to accustom us to look at every occurrence beyond the actual visible to the invisible force behind it. Up to God, the ruler and director of that force, the Melech HaOlam, to whose kingdom everything belongs and surrounds us in this world of riddles. He is the Elokeinu to whom we also belong, with all the forces of our lives, and to whom we, Baruch, right? Baruch is, may your will be fulfilled with, through me. So we give ourselves over to the force of fulfilling his will and increasing the realm of giving him satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And in saying this, Rav Hirsch has pulled together what the two, the two branches come from one stem that the Maharal pointed to. Is it wisdom? Is it action? And the answer is, when it's knowledge of God, then it's going to come out as action. If it doesn't, then it isn't. I'll give you an interesting proof of that, and then we'll, be, we'll stop here for today. An interesting example of that is there's a Gemara that says that the world was created in six days, and the world being created in six days corresponds to um, the 6,000 years of the physical existence of the universe. And the first 2,000 years are tohu vavohu, 
chaos and confusion and darkness. The second set of 2,000 years are the years of Torah, and the third set of 2,000 years are the years of Mashiach. This is the Ramban, I think, also quotes it in Bratius. Okay. So the years of Tohu, we could kind of understand because it's the years between the Chet of Adam Harisha um, and the Torah being given. So there isn't that clear knowledge of Hashem propagating throughout the universe, which is the whole point of the creation of the universe. But why does it start at the year 2000? Because what happened in the year 2000? Is that the giving of the Torah? No, it's not. Torah wasn't given until 400 years later than that. So what happens in the year 2000? Is it the birth of Avraham? We say, maybe it's the birth of Avraham. It's like a new creation, right? Eli told us, Shemaim Vahar, Behi Baram, Avraham. It's not the birth of Avraham. He was born in the year 1948. What happens in the year 2000 is he starts teaching Torah to people. It's not when he's born. It's not even when he recognizes Hashem. It's when he starts teaching other people. It, it turns into his actions. It turns into his chesed. That's when we say the beginning of the era of Torah. Because knowledge of Hashem is going to come out in action. And that's what the Maharal is telling us. The wisdom may only be for the great. But the really important thing is the Maisim Tovim. And it's not, you know, you can always have that machlokas, what's more important, the machshava, the maisa, right? Like, because obviously the kavana behind the action is the, is the main motivating power there. It's not to minimize the kavana and the thought behind it. You remember we talked about, like, in Elul time, about tshuva, and it's not that every long journey begins with a single step, a small step, it's that the small step is the big journey. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's the action, and it's not the scale of the action, it's because the action is the end result of the scale of the tshuva, of the scale of the will and of the desire. And that's why we say that it's not necessarily the size of the action that counts, but the sustainability and the consistency of the action. That tells you more about what has happened and changed inside of you. Okay, so this is on our Baruch Sha'amar Olam. We'll have like a few more points on that as we move forward, but we're basically going to be able to move forward next week. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat>